and welcome to the Bread, Wine, and Everything Fine podcast, where I'll be talking about all things food, the finer things, and things that are fine just the way they are. I'm your host, Sancha Toth, a bread and wine-loving photographer, wife, and mother who loves gathering people in my home to eat good food and have good conversation. I learn so much from the people I get to talk to, and I'm very excited to start sharing some of those conversations here on this podcast. Okay. We have so far talked about bread, the finer things, and things that are fine just the way they are. And so today we had to talk about another very important piece of this podcast, and that is wine. I sat down with Kevin, a sommelier and incredible source of wine knowledge. Wine is such a broad topic, and I know we barely scratched the surface. We did talk for so long that I had to split it into two episodes again, but Kevin did share with me how he found himself on a wine journey and the opportunities it's given him. He talked about the connection between smell and memory, his thoughts on buying wine based on the label, which I know I have been guilty of, and the best wine he's ever had. He also gives some advice on where to start when buying a bottle of wine. So let's get started. Well, hello, and welcome to my podcast. Thanks for coming over, Kevin. Thank you very much. So for our listeners who do not know who you are, I guess I'll give a little bit of the history of how we know each other. Mm-hmm. So we met at, how, how do you say it? Is it Azure Ridge? Azure Ridge. As, Azure Ridge. Some people say Azure, like they say it like... Yeah, yeah, really dry out the U. Yeah. No, Azure Ridge. Azure Ridge Estate yep. Hotel. So I was coordinating weddings, I think. Mm-hmm. You were doing... Bar like, management, restaurant yes. management sommelier I guess not really at that point but but you I mean, were I was starting running, I was running the bar program but very early on in my education I think because when did you start working at it Azure was Ridge? like 2014 okay so at that point in time I would have had my WSET one and two and I think I would have I did my WSET three in 2014 in okay no, in November of 2014 that makes sense so I would have been on well on my way yeah so I was doing weddings and then I ended up managing social events mm-hmm. and so we crossed paths a lot when mm-hmm. it came to couples like choosing their wines for their weddings mm-hmm. and stuff like that which was I think my first kind of exposure to wine mm-hmm. really um, and an appreciation for it beyond just like red, white, I know I like sparkling. it. Yeah, I yeah. know I like it. Yeah. Um, I can't even tell you what I like <laughs> at that point. Yeah. So I just remember we got to try some delicious wine from time to time. Mm-hmm. And that was such a treat. Um, and I feel like it was probably you going to, did you go to Florence? Yeah, I did. To do your... My WSET 3. Yes. Yeah. That kind of watching you go through that process and just being like blown away at what you had to retain and that knowledge mm-hmm. and being like, oh, this is so much more than just like a colorful beverage right. that people drink. Right. Absolutely. Um, so I, just for a little bit of background, WSET is, uh, they're called the Wine and Spirit Education Trust. They're based out of London, England. They are uh, basically a wine and spirit education program. Uh, for anybody who wants to learn more about it, they World, have... That's worldwide. Worldwide. Right? Yeah. yeah. So they're globally recognized. Uh, there's another another option that you can do to be globally recognized, and that's the Corps de Master Sommeliers. Uh, the major difference between the two is when you get to the high, well, even not even the high-end levels, the Corps de Master Sommeliers has testing on how to serve wine properly in a restaurant okay. setting, whereas the WSET does blind tasting and theory 
very equivalent to the level that you need in the quartermaster sommeliers, but there's that extra component in the court where you're serving wine. You get tested on how to serve wine properly as well. Oh my goodness. Yeah, it's pretty intense. So before we started recording this, you were showing me very kindly how to pour (laughs) a bottle and how to taste. And so for me, that's very informative because I didn't, I haven't done any formal training. I, I am picking up bits and pieces in my pastime. I have been reading this 15 year old, um, wine encyclopedia Mm -hmm. (laughs) just to learn when Lewis is playing. Um, but for you, like, where did your kind of desire to start learning about wine come from and why wine and not beer or like spirits? Yeah. Okay. So my dad's from Germany and obviously Germany's huge. I mean, yes, they make wine, but huge, huge beer culture. Yes. Like massive beer culture, Oktoberfest every year. It would have made sense to probably go into the beer side of things, but that's actually (laughs) not where it really started for me. I mean, I've always liked beer and my dad is a big fan of uh, his German beers still to this day, obviously, and he's a purist when it comes to it. Um, There's something called the Bavarian Purity Law of 1516, and uh, my dad won't drink beers that don't follow that that (laughs) law. So even, even here from North America, he drinks a lot of European beer, but mostly if he buys anything from North America, he'll, he'll want to know if it follows the, it's called okay. the Reinheitsgebot. Um, but yeah, he's a purist when it comes to that sort of thing. So yeah, it would have made sense for me to follow into beer more than anything, but that's actually not what really piqued my interest. I mean, I have always liked beer. I've always been big fan and I still am. I, uh, probably say it's about 50 50 with wine and beer drinking. Okay. So, I mean, I'm a, I'm a big IPA guy, pale ales. I've been on a huge sour beer kick lately, okay. but with tasting and with learning about wine specifically, it actually started with scotch. Interesting. Yeah. I, uh, my parents were always into scotch as well, but not really anything more than they just knew they liked it. They didn't really know much about it, Yeah. but there scotch was scotch specifically. Scotch, like... but yeah. Okay. So scotch specifically, um, they didn't really, they don't drink bourbon. They don't drink hmm. rye or anything like that, but they've always really enjoyed a good single malt scotch. And I remember there was a night in true nerd fashion i sat down and watched highlander scottish movie and (laughs) had a glass of scotch and at that point in time i hated scotch and i put an ounce of glenfiddich 12 into a glass and loaded it with ice and forced myself to drink it while i was watching (laughs) highlander i was like i'm going to be as scottish as i can possibly be while i watch this movie and that was the only way i knew how and by the end of it i actually once you get past the initial fire from the high alcohol, the ice kind of mellows it out. And I started picking up all these little flavors and nuances in the scotch that I'd never tasted before, like pear and green apple and uh, like dried hay and all these kind of things. And I'm like, this is weird. Like, why why can I smell and taste these things? Isn't it just fire water, essentially? Like, yeah. that's what whiskey had always been to me. I'd never really enjoyed it. And then I started really getting into scotch and at one point in time i had over 70 different types 70 different bottles of scotch and uh, so that's really where it started for me and i noticed that i had a pretty sharp palate and i could pick up all these little fruit characteristics and like uh, it was just kind of neat to i had no idea it started with scotch that's really cool yeah so i mean it's interesting because wine's kind of the thing but it's really just alcohol in general <laughs> that, that I like, I find fascinating. Um, 
We can get into the history of that a little bit later, but yeah, so that's where it started. And then I started working at Azeridge and the head chef who was working there when I first started was a huge wine guy and he wasn't really into whiskey. I was really into whiskey at that point, but I was starting to get into wine and he, in retrospect, it's kind of funny because he didn't know as much as I would have thought at the Mm. time. I was Mm -hmm. like, wow, you're a wealth of knowledge and you know so much, but really he just liked big jammy California Cabernets and okay. that's kind of all he really liked to drink. Yeah. And for me, it was fun because I was getting to try all these new things with the chef and learning about them and then having kind of like that background, slight background where I was able to pick up flavors and mm-hmm. scotches. I was translating that over to wine. Which probably made more sense even given the clientele for the most part for that sure. were coming through. For sure. At Azeridge, yeah. it was almost entirely... Uh, wine drinkers right? mm-hmm. like the vast majority of people who would come in to eat would have a bottle of wine with dinner so I started I'd kind of dove in head first mm-hmm. and started learning as much as I could about wine and hanging out with the chef at the time we would if it was a slow night at the end of the night usually he would crack a bottle mm-hmm. of wine and we would just sip it together on the patio in the summer and it was great and uh yeah that's kind of where it started and then I was lucky enough to have the company pay for me to do my WSET level one and two through uh, Willow Park Wines and Spirits. Yeah. That was kind of where everything sort of came together. I noticed all these flavors and smells, but I could never articulate what they actually were. Right. Right. It's one of those things where as soon as other people point it out, you're like, yes, that's what that smell is. That's what that taste is. I was listening once, I think it was to the podcast that um, I've mentioned to you, Wine for Normal People, and she was talking about how if there are thousands of smells and tastes retained in your brain to articulate, you'd have to taste it. You'd have to know. Mm -hmm. Uh, The science shows that smell is the most connected with memory, right? So it makes sense that, you know, um, I remember going through my courses, one of our teachers always talked about having your taste memory, this like nebulous bank of smells and mm-hmm. flavors in the back of your head that as soon as you smell it, you're going to be like, oh, that's black currant or that's cassis or mm-hmm. whatever it might be. But it's just like any other skill. The more you do it, the better you get at it. Mm-hmm. If you if you put a glass of wine in front of you without knowing what it is, you can figure out what it is just based on what these components are in the wine, or at least have a very good idea of what it's going to be. Cabernet Sauvignon is one of those grapes for me. I like I can when I smell it, I'm like, oh, that's cab. Yeah, right? like, it just jumps out of the glass. I remember you testing. You. I think it was at. As your ridge and mm-hmm. just to practice mm-hmm. and you had someone pour you like it was two whites and two reds mm-hmm. and that's what I was talking about where you were like swirling it and talking about like color and mm-hmm. all of these things and me being like wow he has no idea mm-hmm. what this is and he's gonna like tell us and I think it was a Bordeaux. Yeah. One of them was a Bordeaux. And that was the first time I'd ever heard of Bordeaux. And I'm pretty sure I don't know how old I was. So thank you for introducing me to this whole world. (laughs) Of course. So you did your, it's called W set. Is that how you say it? Correct. W set. So you did one, two, three. They actually prefer W S E T. Okay. W S E T. Okay. They're British. So if I ever do it, I can be like, oh. W S E T level one. Yes. Okay. (laughs) So you've done those three. Yeah. I've actually done the level four diploma as well. Okay. So I'm one step below the master level, Okay. essentially. There's only about, I think there's just over 400 masters of wine in the world now. 
Oh my goodness. And so before you can do the master of wine designation, you have to finish the WSET diploma, which I finished in 2017. Do you have plans of doing your... The master? Yeah. yeah I actually applied last year. Um, they So the way that it kind of works is like a doctoral dissertation. Like you mm. can't get accepted to do it unless you have an MW, first of all, vouch for you that you're mm -hmm. ready to take the program, which I was lucky enough to get. Um, and then they have to, you have to pass entrance exams, which is more difficult. Yes. Um, you have to do a blind tasting exam and then you also have to write a theory exam. I unfortunately didn't get into the program, but maybe not so unfortunately because it also saves you thousands of dollars yes. on wine and travel costs and books and on and on and on. I, I watched so. um, some on yep. Netflix, which was also kind of this amazing moment of realization of how incredible people who know about wine are and the amount of knowledge that goes into yeah. like all of the different regions and the different grapes. And it's mind boggling. I have no yep. desire to ever reach that point. Yeah. I'm glad there are people who have, who can <laughs> share their knowledge with everyone else. Yeah. Um, but like it exactly that it was a lot of sacrifice and oh, for sure. like even with their families and having to do the exam over and over again and mm -hmm. yeah like it's really it is a lot of sacrifice it's it is for sure especially because every time you write the exam like if you don't pass it you pay for it essentially right because you're paying for the course yes and then if you don't pass you have to pay to write the exam again so okay you know a lot about wine and this wine that we're drinking today is delicious mm -hmm. I was chatting with a few people about having a conversation with you and I was like, what would you want to ask somebody who is like an expert in wine? And every single one of them said, what do I do when I go into a liquor store or a wine store? Where do I start? Okay. Because I think it's kind of a tendency to go in and be like, and I have definitely been at fault for this. Now I have some resources and kind of a base knowledge of mm -hmm. what I'm looking for um, to kind of know where to go. But I think it's like, oh my goodness, um, red, white, sparkling, um, that's a cute bottle mm -hmm. label. I'm going to buy that one. And yeah, then that's absolutely. it. So like, what would you recommend as like a very practical, like I'm just an average Joe and I just need to buy a bottle of wine. Okay. Well, I mean, if, I think I would start with, well, what are we buying it for? Are you mm. going in to buy a bottle just to have a party or are you going mm -hmm. in to buy a bottle of wine to pair with your dinner that evening? Right. Or is it just going to be something that you just want a glass of and you'll have another glass tomorrow, that kind mm -hmm. of thing? So that's like a really good place to start is what's the intention behind right. getting a bottle of wine? Because depending on what the occasion is, you might want to drink something differently, especially okay. based on season as well, right? So I'm going to break this down then. So say you are buying a gift. Okay. So it was like you don't know if what you're having for dinner you don't necessarily know their preference, but it's mm -hmm. like this This is a good place to start. Okay, so again, if you're going to buy a bottle of wine for somebody, I would at least have an understanding of whether they like white or red. Yes. It's usually okay. the best place to start because if you buy some a white drink or a red wine, they're... It's probably just going to go to waste or not yes. get used or, or re-gifted. Yeah. Or re-gifted, <laughs> which also you don't necessarily want. So um, kind of knowing what the person likes who you're buying it for yes. is a which good Which ideally, to start. if you know the person, you should have probably that much. Exactly. And there's so, no harm in asking. Yeah, yeah, exactly. There's no harm in asking. Well, what do you like to drink? Right? Yeah. So after discerning whether they would like white or red or bubbles or a fortified wine, a port for instance, or something, um, then you can 
base it on um, probably grape varietal is the next big thing. A lot of people, especially here in Calgary, I mean, there's a decent wine scene in Calgary, but most people still lean towards New World wines mm-hmm. because it, they're English labels. Yes. They're easy to understand. They're straightforward. You can read it and say, oh, California, Napa Valley, you know what it is, where and it's coming from. And they usually look like trendy and appealing. I think because of that, probably mm-hmm. because they don't have all of, I don't know if this is true or not, but mm-hmm. they don't have as many um, requirements for what needs to be on the label and maybe they're Correct. not as traditional. So right. like looking at like a French wine, it's like Chateau de whatever. Right. And it kind of looks dated because it's just yep. like in cursive writing with a picture of the Chateau. No, of course. And that's like that region specifically that you're talking about is Bordeaux. Yes. So the thing to know with Bordeaux is that they are 75% red wine production, 25% white, a little bit of sweet wine. And they have five grape varietals, originally red grape varietals from the region, Merlot, Cabernet Sauvignon, Cabernet Franc, Malbec, and Petit Verdot. These five grapes originally come from Bordeaux. So everywhere in the world, when you see a Cabernet Sauvignon, it it can trace its lineage back to Bordeaux in France. So yes, you might shy away from it because it's, again, in French and most people in Alberta especially don't speak French. So it can be kind of daunting to stroll down the European wine aisles because you don't know necessarily what's in the bottle. So I can totally understand why people would want to gravitate towards New World wine regions. Basically, Mm -hmm. New World wine regions are everywhere that isn't Europe. Yes. It could be South Africa. It can be Australia, New Zealand, Chile, Argentina, BC, all New World wine. And generally, the labels are easy to read and easy to figure out. They tell you basically exactly what's in the bottle. But... Don't fall into the uh, the cute animal trap. Basically, don't buy any <laughs> wine that has a cute animal on it because it's insanely mass produced and usually has a lot of sugar in it. So first thing is just, yeah, just start with uh, what does the person that you're buying it for, what do they like? And then usually it's also a good thing to know whether they like full-bodied wines or lighter wines. Mm-hmm. Those can be broken down pretty simply as well, right? Like things like Napa Valley Cabernet is going to be big and heavy mm-hmm. if you get a burgundy pinot noir it's going to be quite light so just depending on what's happening mm-hmm. um italy's tricky because obviously again it's in italian and they have four different ways of labeling what it is and where it's yes. from so yeah i mean the big thing is don't get overwhelmed mm-hmm. and ask right always ask right depending on where you're going if you're actually going to a reputable store not just like the liquor depot around mm-hmm. the corner sort of thing um you, they're going to have people there who have some cursory knowledge and mm-hmm. can help you so don't feel ashamed to ask for a hand like yes great place to start so one of the things that i think it was on this podcast maybe someone else said it and correct me if i'm wrong but they said that the most commonly ordered glass of wine in american restaurants is merlot because people can say it mm-hmm. Is that right? Oh, or at sure. least yep. seems to be a pattern. Absolutely. Absolutely. And it um, makes sense because you're like Sauvignon Blanc. Is it French? That's French. Yeah. 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 So if you don't have that or it's not comfortable, then you're going into a situation where I think people feel a lot of pressure to understand wine mm-hmm. when they go out. And I mean, you probably run into this all the time mm-hmm. where customers try to yep. pretend that they're very knowledgeable. Right. A lot of people have kind of like a comfort zone that they like to be in, right? Mm-hmm. They know that they like wines from California or reds from California, so they'll only ever order yeah. those wines on a wine list. 
And that's fine, right? Like, there's nothing wrong with liking what you like. Mm-hmm. I just don't like it when people are so closed-minded that they won't even try anything mm-hmm. else. That's what really gets me because the world of wine is vast and you don't know what you don't know. I, I'm as educated as I am. There's still so much that I do not understand in the world of wine. There's right. still grape varietals that I'm learning about all the time that I've never heard of because it's just, there's too much to know. Yeah, It's like... Mitchell and I were talking about this when I was saying I was going to chat with you. Yeah. I was like, where do I start? We're going to sit down and talk <laughs> yeah. about wine. You could talk forever and ever. But- Honestly, you can. It's pretty. It's it's a pretty fun thing because not only do most countries on the planet produce wine or at least grow grapes in some capacity, there's also a very long history to the tune of like thousands and thousands of years in some countries that they've been making wine. So it's not a new thing, which is also really, really interesting. There's just like this crazy depth that you don't really even know about because how could you? It's not something that gets taught in school every day. But um, A girl, so I was at um, my future sister-in-law's bridal shower mm -hmm. and um, I was chatting with one of her cousins or friends and she was saying that at school and I believe this was in Montreal that she was going to school that she got to take a wine class as like one of her options cool that's amazing and through that class her professor had talked about this wine that he absolutely loved which she then told her dad about and then he was serving at dinner Mm. and it was interesting because I was really enjoying it and I think it is actually the best wine that I have ever had. And I have probably had nothing close to what you've experienced. Do you remember what it was? Yes. It was a Cabernet Franc. Okay. And it was from, I believe the winery was called Foreign Affair. It's in Niagara. Foreign Affair. It's I small, don't know that one. It's very small. And something about it, I remember drinking it and just being like, oh my goodness, it wasn't like particularly acidic nothing was too dry Mm -hmm. it was so full and flavorful without like i think california red sometimes Mm -hmm. where it's like oh wow that's like high alcohol and then i looked at it it was 18 percent and like you would have no idea it was 18 percent it was impossible it was incredible so i looked it up because i was like i need to go to this winery and get a couple bottles and bring them home so i was looking it up they do ship but they're only sold in Ontario. Um, it may be even locally to the winery. So I was looking it up. They had, you know, all of the different years and they were like $60, $70 a bottle. Mm -hmm. 2012 was the vintage and they were 110. So it must've just been like a really good year. That's really crazy. I'm wondering if that's partially fortified, like it would have to be. Cabernet Franc generally doesn't I was shocked. Reach that alcohol level? I mean, even really high alcohol Zinfandels reach 16, 17% maybe. I have one at home that's 17.1% We need to look it up afterwards so that like you know I'm not lying. Yeah, no, (laughs) it's super crazy. I mean, even uh, there's another wine region, uh, Amarone's in in Italy. They can reach 16.5, 17% alcohol pretty, I wouldn't say easily because it's not easy to do, but to hit 18% is... And for it to not like feel like 18% was really cool. Anyways, what is the best wine you've ever had? Oh, um, it's kind of a tough question. I would say that there's like a handful. (laughs) Okay. Um, the wine that like really got me into wine. Mm -hmm. Um, so this would have been really early on working at Azaridge. The owners came in. One of, one of the owners loves Camus special selection Cabernet Sauvignon. 
And um, thanks to that, I have had it. Right. Yes. Yeah. So I, I've had my fair share of it as well. Uh, one of the other owners really likes this winery from California called Schaefer, Schaefer Vineyards. And uh, I've actually, I met Doug Schaefer earlier this year. Yeah, I did a tasting with him Amazing. At, at, uh, with Renaissance Wine Merchants. And that was like one of the coolest tastings ever. He's just a larger than life character. Amazing. He's so funny. But he makes damn good wine. Well, his winemaker makes damn good wine. Yes. He, he has a lot of say in what goes on. But the winemaker is fantastic. Elias. I can't remember what his last name is. So he makes a really high-end California Cabernet um, called Hillside Select. And the owners came in to Azarish this night and they ordered a 2004 Hillside Select. And this would have been in 2012, so it's already 12 years old. They opened a second bottle, didn't want to take it with them, only had a glass. My chef didn't want it. Our server didn't want it. The butler didn't want it. So it got to go home with me and I tried it and I couldn't believe wine could taste like that. Like it was so concentrated. It just lived on your palate forever it just didn't go away and i was like this is the most insane thing i think i've ever tasted and those those wines right now are how much are they in the store they're probably like five to six hundred dollars a bottle and still holding up like oh yeah, yeah. oh yeah those will age for another 30 years That's like they're incredible. just so concentrated they don't make the hillside select every year they only make it in outstanding vintages so it's kind of nice that way because you know that when you're buying it i mean if you're going to drop 300 dollars on a bottle of something 400 dollars on a bottle of something it's probably going to be pretty good mm-hmm. um but so not that always. kind of was a game changer for you that was the game changer that was the one that like really made it stand out like wow i didn't know wine could taste like that um, I feel like almost everybody who's in my position has had that wine, like some wine that's just been like, click, I get it. And I want to know more. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so that was one of them. And then I was lucky enough to uh, have a bottle of Dom Perignon shared with me not that long ago. This is about a year and a half ago. And a friend who I was working with at uh, the restaurant I was working at at the time, he's an older gentleman, but he's big into wine as well he, he came in on like a monday night opened his bag and showed me this bottle of dom perignon and it was a 1975 oh my goodness yeah because i was like okay dom right yeah yeah dom perignon pretty good champagne but yeah. 1975 vintage so he'd had it sitting <laughs> not even stored properly he said it was just oh sitting goodness. upright on his fridge in his basement for like the last 20 years or something oh like goodness. that so he brought it in and we were just like oh let's try it let's see what's up and uh cork broke of course because it wasn't stored properly um still had some fizz it wasn't very sparkling it wasn't fully sparkling it still was like it was a little effervescent Mm -hmm. but it was one of the most mind-blowing wines i've ever tried it was like candied pineapple just candied everything you can think of roasted hazelnuts um, very tropical fruit. Wow. Toasted brioche. It was what amazing. A gift. It was crazy. The current value of that wine, if you were to like try and buy it somewhere, is over five thousand dollars. Oh my gosh. Yeah. So he I did, need and he just like brought yours. this in on a Monday. Um, <laughs> and yeah, I mean he's he and I we geek out quite a bit. Yeah. Like we even still we geek out about wines. He's got some crazy stuff just kicking around at his house. He brought in a really high end Bordeaux one night, nineteen ninety six Chateau Pavy, which we had 2010 Chateau Pevy on their wine list at the restaurant I was working in. It was $670 a bottle. So he brought in this 1996 Chateau Pevy. Label fell off 20 minutes after he pulled it out of his bag. Oh my goodness. That one, that one wasn't that great. It, I mean, it was outstanding, but 
In comparison. In comparison yes. to like some of the other ones that I've had, it was just past its prime. Like mm-hmm. it, it. But how was cool to good. like know people like that. I think. Yeah. As Mitchell and I dream about our future, and we have a beautiful home. We love our house. It's. We are excited about the projects we're doing in it, and kind of the renovations we've got. But we do have long-term dreams. Mm-hmm. And one of those is definitely to have a wine cellar in our mm-hmm. house. Now, obviously we need the budget to both have the house that has the cellar and yep. the wine to go in it, yep. which is probably quite substantial. You think substantial. so. You would think so. But I think but. just to have that and to like, to collect and to experience and share like wine together. I love this. Like I love the fact that you can like experience flavor and smell and not just celebrating, but just like sit and enjoy. Mm. I think that's so cool. And that you get to do that with people who appreciate it as much as you do. We're really excited. Um, we have dreams of going back to Italy and we have done Italy. We did the whole Mediterranean coast. Um, we did kind of like the Southern tip of Portugal all the way along to Sorrento, like mm, kind nice. of just like past Naples. And Mitchell wasn't really into wine at the time. Yeah. And we were with people who um, don't drink. And so I didn't get to experience wine the way that I would mm-hmm. now. And so we have dreams of going back and doing Tuscany and like doing tours and cooking classes. Cause I would love to like learn how to make pasta and stuff like that. But mm-hmm. I think to learn from people who know what they're talking about mm-hmm. and not just people who think they know what they're talking about. It's so cool. I don't yeah. know. I love learning. And so this is, this is fun for me. That wraps up part one of this wonderful conversation about wine, but you can find part two in the next episode. And if you haven't yet subscribed to the bread, wine and everything fine podcast, do so now and you will never miss an episode.